Hello and welcome. This week we're looking at Samson, the young man in Judges chapter 14. We titled this message as Failed Marriage, but really, the marriage was a non-starter, wasn't it? Last week, Eric spoke of Samson as one of the judges of Israel. In a spiral of disobedience, improvement, disobedience, and Israel was under the rulership of the Philistines, but so enmeshed with them that they were not crying out to God to save them. We heard of the context of Samson's birth. Much wanted and longed for a child, promised by an angel of God, and to be set apart as a Nazarite. If you recall, in Numbers chapter 6, we learn that this meant not shaving his head, not touching wine or any grape products, and not touching a corpse. So Samson was brought up with this, his parents promised to God. And now we see him failing, rebelling, breaking the vows made on his behalf. They weren't his vows after all. One commentary divides this chapter into three. Samson's courtship, his arrogance and his anger. Let's look at the courtship, such as it was. Samson went down to Timnah, went down by significant wording, as this was the start of his downfall. He sees this unnamed woman, girl of the Philistines and fancies her. He just sees her. Look at the words he used to his parents when he went back. I want this girl. Get her for me. Do you remember the fifth commandment? Exodus 20, 12. Honour your father and your mother. Does this conversation sound respectful? And they ask him not to break with their expectation and tradition that he will find a wife among his own people, the tribe of Dan. Israelites were forbidden by God to intermarry when they crossed into the promised land. That's in Deuteronomy 7, 3. No, he replies, get her for me. But remember, he saw this girl and he says, she's right for me in my eyes. In contrast to all the times we hear the previous judges and rulers later in First and Second Kings were seen as evil or good in God's eyes. Verse 4 is key. His parents didn't know that God was behind even this. Remember, Eric described the Philistines as ruling Israel at this time and the promise of the angel that their son would take the lead in delivering Israel. So God's in this. Let's remember that. He and his parents go down to Timnah to meet the girl. Through a vineyard, oops, another no-no for Samson. And when the lion appears roaring, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and enabled Samson to kill it. I wonder if the place is significant. Did the lion divert him from the vineyard? Did the Lord send the Holy Spirit as a warning? Was there or as a reminder that Samson's life was in God's hands. So this is the courtship. 
On his second visit, Samson chatted with her and liked her. We have no idea who she was or what she thought. And now to Samson's arrogance and breaking his vows. Do you remember the Lyle syrup tin or the treacle tin? Both show the dead lion with bees buzzing round and the coat. Out of the strong came forth sweetness. These tins have had the same design for as long as I can recall and I vividly remember as a child my grandparents drizzling the treacle on the porridge in Carlisle. So in taking the honey out of the dead animal, Samson breaks one of his Nazarite vows. By not telling his parents and giving them some, he makes them sin too, and again breaks the fifth commandment, dishonouring his parents. What do you think of him so far? Spoilt brat? Rebellious young man? Arrogant bully? Or God's instrument? Next we see him, he's with his father and 30 men at the feasting he's hosting. And he gives them a riddle to solve. For three days they try to solve it and then they resort to threats to the betrothed young woman, threatening to burn her and her father's whole household to death. I am not at all surprised that she then tries to wheedle the answer out of Samson. The translation in the message is that she turns on the tears, although I suspect she really was fearful. And after she's been asking and crying for a week, Samson gives in because he was according to the message, worn out by her nagging. But it's been a pretty awful wedding feast for her too, don't you think? In the end, his arrogance and pride in his riddle wrecks it for everyone. And now the third stage of this chapter, Samson's anger. When the boys reveal that they know the answer, Samson gets angry and kills 30 Philistine men in order to pay the forfeit of the 30 sets of clothing. Still burning with anger, he leaves the feast, walks out in the wedding and his wife, and shame upon shame, she is given to his best man. I'm sorry, spoiler alert, it doesn't improve for her in chapter 15 either. I'm intrigued that the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, came upon Samson on those two occasions when he killed the lion and when he went off to kill the young men. Remember, God was planning to use him to start the overthrow of the Philistines, so this killing and stripping of 30 men would really have enraged people against him. And as we see, we'll see, the story continues next week. So what's the message of this sad chapter? I think the key is in the previous chapter. God is using him. Ask you to consider this. God created Samson for a purpose and continues to be with him despite his behaviour. Brooks Waldron describes Samson as 
physically strong but morally weak. Yet, as we'll see, God can still use him for his greater purpose. And I believe that this is the powerful message here. God's grace is for all of us. None of us is perfect. We may not kill 30 men, but we all fall short of God's high standards. And his grace covers us and he can fulfill us his purposes despite us if we submit to him in the end. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, 32, Samson joins the list of historic heroes of faith, each of whom, by faith, toppled kingdoms and did other great deeds. The writers of Hebrews goes further, saying in verses 39 and 40, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And we are only made perfect in faith, in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. Tim Keller and Brooks Waldron each describe the story of Samson as pointing to Jesus, who in contrast did obey his father and fulfilled his life's purpose. He offers forgiveness if we believe in him, repent and turn to him. And I've had a final mind-boggling thought. The opening of John's Gospel tells us that Jesus is the Word of God and the Word was present at the beginning of creation. So Jesus saw all that Samson did. And Jesus took these sins of Samson's, as well as ours, to the cross after his human birth. Jesus is no longer the sweet little baby in the manger of a few weeks ago. He is Lord of all creation and our salvation. My take-home message is that God's grace and salvation is for all who believe. And because he can use Samson, he can use each one of us. If we would only submit to him and his will for our lives. So when you think of Samson's rebellion his arrogance, his anger, breaking of vows. Do you see yourself? I do. I see myself. So remember, God did ultimately still use Samson to launch the deliverance from Philistine oppression. So he can use you and me, if only to start his plans. Amen.